just got back uh, from a, a conference up in uh, State College, uh, Pennsylvania, a home of uh, Penn State University, if there are any uh, nifty Lion fans in the house. And I'm a Notre Dame fan, so it really didn't mean too much to me. Uh, but while I was there, uh, one of my sports teams had Game 7. And uh, my Boston Bruins were in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. The thank you to the one, the one Bruins fan. And, uh, and so Jordan and I are hanging out. Jordan and I went to the conference, learned a lot about Jordan. And uh, it was cool and whatnot. And so we're there, and we're like, okay, after an evening, <clears throat> evening event with this conference, and we're like, yo, we got to go someplace and watch this game. Like, I'm a, I'm a Bruins fan. Uh, and so we found someplace with like 1,000 TVs uh, and late-night pizza. So we went there. And... Uh, we're watching the game, and something, something really just, for the first time in my life, really caught my attention, and, and that's this. So the, <clears throat> the Bruins lost the game. Uh, and every time the Blues would score a goal, the whole place would erupt and, like, cheer. And, like, Jordan was sitting next to me, and he was chirping me every single time the Blues scored. And I was like, Jordan, can you name one flipping player from the Blues? Do you even know where they're located? Do you know anything about the Blues? And no, but every time they scored, he was chirping me. And every time they scored, scored the whole place erupted with cheer. And not there wasn't a single person wearing any Blues paraphernalia. There was not a single Blues fan in the room. But there was a whole lot of people that hate Boston sports. <laughs> and they were responding as such. And as the game got out of hand, as we lost the game, the Bruins lost the game, it hit me. This sermon is going to stink. This is going to be awful because they said, start a life group. It will be fun, they said. And I invited Caleb and Maggie into my house, the only Blues fans on the planet that I physically know. And Caleb was like, let's make a deal if the Bruins win, da-da-da. If the Blues win, da-da-da. And I was like, the Blues are never going to win. And so the deal was such where I have to I have to wear baby blue while I preach and then he graciously gave me this hat you there's not a blues fan in this room and y'all are cheering for the same reason you hate Boston sports you cheer my dad's going to watch this, and he's nothing short on Father's Day, nothing short of being ashamed of me. Landon walked in here. He saw this, and he's like, Dad, what are you doing with that? He's looking at me, doubting everything I've ever told him, so you're welcome. <laughs> the way we respond to something communicates what we think of that something. We, I take off this jersey, I put on this hat, we erupt. Why? Because collectively, y'all hate everything Boston, whereas I don't. And so I respond differently. How do we respond to Jesus? And what does it communicate about what we believe of Jesus? Perhaps we, we go about responding to Jesus, and we respond in such a way where we think our response doesn't impact God. We think God is unaffected by our response to him. That God will be whatever about how we, we, we respond to him. But what if our response to God impacts his response to us? 
We just talked about trailblazing. We just looked at the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6. He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, this is what it means to be a trailblazer. This is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to give me your life. This is going to be altogether different. This is, this is going to be different than the culture that you are from. And, and there was things in this, in this passage in Luke chapter 6 that convicted us. Things that we need to change about our lives to follow Jesus. And so if you're reading this and you're like, man, Jesus, I need to change this. I need to change this. Man, Jesus... This is hard. This ain't easy. Then doesn't that bring the question of Jesus, are you worth such devotion? Jesus, is this, is this really going to be more than summer love? Is this going to be more than a fling? Is this really going to be like a few-month thing and then I'm going to go to college, I'm going to go do my thing? It was just summer-type love. Or is this going to be something that's, that's lasting and goes much beyond that? How do we respond to Jesus? Does it communicate worth to him? As we read through this passage now in Luke chapter 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. As you turn to Matthew, or Luke chapter 7, I want you to read this passage with me. I want you to see the responses. I want you to see a response of humility. I want you to see a response of faith. I want you to see how Jesus is impacted and responds back accordingly. I want you to see all these responses and then I'll consider how we might respond to him. In Luke chapter 7, it starts like this. After he had finished all of his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion, who was a soldier with overseas about 100 people, had a servant who was sick at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. Later on in the passage, when it talks about this servant, they'll use a word that can be used for child. This, this, this centurion looks at this servant as a child, as one of his own. Highly valued. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him to the uh, sent to him elders of the Jews. This man has a need, and where does he go? To Jesus. That communicates something. Asking him to come and to heal his servant. Why is he taking action? Because he values this child. And when he came to Jesus, they they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, "He is what." worthy to have you do this for him he loves our nation he is the one who built us our synagogue now if you're if you're the jewish reader you're you're reading this and you're like jesus are you going to help those outside of israel are you going to help a non-jew and then and jesus went with them the centurion you don't have to really dig very deep into this passage you know the centurion is a good dude he's a good guy he's done a lot of good things and and you know what that would liken him to like in our culture this this growing religious group called the nuns and what i mean by that is if you study people the a census the largest growing demographic for people when they come to religion is the nuns people that ascribe to i'm non religious it's the fastest growing religion right now and now you and I would think that the nons are atheists. Only 3% of the nons, the one in four Americans are considering themselves non-religious. Only 3% of the nons are atheists. 61% of them believe in a higher power. 61, the majority of the nons believe in, in a spiritual life, in a spiritual being, a, a higher power. But they don't ascribe to Jesus. They like Jesus. Jesus is a cool dude. He, he, he loves the outcast. Jesus, Jesus is good for those. He's a champion for the poor. There's so much good for Jesus, but you call him Lord. No, I believe in a higher power, but I'm going to keep Jesus at arm's length. They're, they're good people on paper. And here is this man who's a good person on 
paper. And this is the starting point. But he will not stay here. So what do the Jews do? They go just to that route. What, how are the Jews going to defend this man when they come to Jesus? What word do they use? Jesus, he is what? Worthy. And the word, the Greek word that they use, if you're, if you're a Jewish person that knows the language, you would understand they're using a word that talks about a scale. That Jesus, he's worthy because the good in his life is much better than the bad. It tips the scale. So Jesus, what they're communicating is, Jesus, you're obligated. Jesus, you're entitled. He, like, he, he's entitled to you helping him. He's entitled to you doing something about it. Jesus, he loves Israel. Jesus, he helped build the temple. Jesus, he, he's morally a good pe- person. You owe him. You owe him. I, uh, I, I recently heard uh, somebody that just started out in our, our production team, she, she sent us a, a prayer request and, and wrote on Facebook about uh, an aunt that was, was fighting for her life. And, um, and we got wind of it uh, through, through those avenues. And uh, I was having coffee with her this past, uh, I think this past week or the week before. And, uh, and she was like, I was so um, blessed by, by Wellspring. And, and she said that I, uh, Carly had texted me asking, how, how is how's your aunt doing? And, uh, and she's like, oh, she's, she's doing okay, a few things to pray about. And she's like, I walked into my house and found out that actually my aunt had just passed away. And, uh, and so she went to the house, found that out, and then walked back outside. She said it was pouring, and she's like, I'm out in the pouring rain just sobbing. And I texted Carly back saying, actually, not really, she just died. And, uh, and, and she said, I was so blessed by, by Carly and others that just kept reaching out to me that kept coming alongside me, new to our church, uh, uh, new to helping in, with the production team. Carly wasn't obligated. Carly didn't have to. What Carly saw in this person was just that, a person who was hurting. Carly, Carly did not, I'm assuming this, and I, I think it's fair, fair to assume because I think she would have told me this. Carly did not start by saying, well, do you agree with this? Do you agree with this? Okay, this is what the Bible says here. Do you agree? Here's, here's what I believe here. Do you agree? Okay, now I can love you. Now, okay, now, now what is it like to go through pain? No, what, G, what, what Carly saw was a person in need. And that was a very reasonable starting point to meet this person. If you, if you line up any of our two lives, guess what? Where there's going to be things we agree and disagree with. But can we agree that people matter? And so this Jew... This, this, this Jewish, these Jewish people, what they saw in the centurion was, was they weren't just a mission. Because a centurion, could have, a centurion could have done that. My job is to make the Jews a mission. Keep them at arm's length. Keep them quiet. No rebellion. Like, none of that. But instead, he saw them as people. He didn't necessarily agree with Judaism. He didn't have to agree to show them love, to use his own funds to help build the temple. When you and I pray for one, You and I wake up every single day. God, give me one person to share your love with, share the gospel with. As we're praying for people by name, are they a means to an end? Because if they're a means to an end, when they say yes to Jesus, you know what often happens? The relationship ends. If we make them just a mission, no, they are people. This is what the centurion did for the Jews. And what we must do with our unbelieving friends. We must look at them as people. Come alongside them as we pray for them. And then what happens when they, change, when they say yes to a relationship with Jesus? The job is not done. The status changes. They go from somebody that we want on the team to teammates. And now simply our approach change. The mission just goes to the next step. And so this is where Jesus goes. He says that when, when he was not far from 
the house. Jesus is now getting closer. The centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, did you, has that word been used yet? Did the Jews ever go to Jesus using that word? But communicating from the centurion through his friends, he's using that word that says a lot about what he thinks of Jesus. Do not trouble yourself. A word meaning to bother, to annoy, to agitate. Jesus, don't be annoyed by this. Jesus, I know this is all sorts of crazy. Like, don't be troubled with this. Why? For I am not, there's that word again, worthy. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Do you see the difference in perspective there? Where the Jews are saying, Jesus, you're obligated. Jesus, he is worthy. Go. Whereas, whereas this man is saying, Jesus, I am not worthy. Jesus, don't come. There's, there's a perspective change there, a difference. Therefore, I did not presume. I am not entitled. I did not presume to come to you. But say the word. And let my servant be healed. For I, for I too, am a man uh, set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. He realizes authority, and as he looks at Jesus, he says, Jesus, you are powerful over life and death. Such authority causes me to internalize my life and consider my worth, my lack of worth. The word worthy there is different than the first word. What this word communicates is a lack of sufficiency. Jesus, I am insufficient. He understands authority. He understands Jesus can but he doesn't presume to think that Jesus will because that obligates and that entitles. And so he looks at his life and he goes to Jesus with what we all do when we come to Jesus in faith. I am bankrupt. I have a need that I cannot fix, but there is one. There is one who can. Where I am bankrupt, Jesus, I come to Jesus and he fills. This is different than the religious leaders. The religious leaders who are, who are looking at the scale, looking at all the good, ignoring the bad, saying, Jesus, you're obligated, versus the centurion who is looking at the, at the scale and saying, I am not worthy, but Jesus, only you can. In my brokenness, I come to Jesus with confidence. Why? Because Jesus can. He is powerful enough. He has the authority. This is different than those of the Jewish leaders who are only looking at the external. If you look at the external, then Jesus is obligated. If you look at the external, then Jesus is like, da, da, da. like you go to that point of the argument. But if you look at the inside, you know, no, Jesus, I need you to change things. So are we looking, are we willing to look within to see who people really are and what the real need is? I got invited. I don't really, I guess because of my former days where I was a youth guy, I got invited to sit on a committee with Tom's River. Uh, I love committees. And uh, to sit on this committee to help youth in our, in our culture, uh, in our community with the drugs and whatnot. And, uh, and so I got invited to this meeting. Never really thought much about it because it was a youth meeting uh, with the town. And so... Uh, thankfully, I was wearing pants that day, uh, jeans and whatnot, not my typical gym shorts, uh, because I showed up and, like, the chief of police is there in, like, a suit, 
And, like, it was on the back end of, like, a business meeting. So there was all these other people wearing, like, like nice pants tucked in. Like, there were dresses. There were, like, all these people looked like they were ready to go to their, like, business professional jobs. And, like, I strolled in, thankfully not wearing gym shorts, but, like, jeans and, like, a pullover and, like, a flat rim hat. Not this ugly thing, but a different flat rim hat. And, and I stroll in, and, uh, and they were already having a meeting. So I came into the back end of that meeting. And, I, and they're all around the table. And I was like, hey, is this the youth meeting? And, and they all looked at me. And some of them shook their head. Yes, this is. (laughs) And none of them parted the ways to let me around the table. I had to grab a chair and come sit behind them and try to give my input. (laughs) They invited me to the stinking meeting. And and so there I was. And they're talking about how they can use social media to reach the youth. That is awesome. But But then they were talking about things. I'm like, I don't think you really understand social media. Because I said something about YouTube. YouTube is the fastest growing uh, social media engine to, to, reach, uh, to reach young people. And I was like, I saw that. I read those reports. I knew that. So I mentioned YouTube. And they looked at me like I was wearing too, like I was the big old idiot in the room because of what I was wearing. And they shut that down. Then I said, well, wait, wait, wait. Listen, I think my church crushes it on social media. I didn't finish my sentence. Somebody, somebody was like, oh, you must be the guy from Wellspring. Yeah, I'm from Wellspring. Oh, I heard about the diaper thing. Oh, and that gas thing you guys did. Oh, and it was right around the time we switched locations. And they're like, oh, you guys are going over to the school right now uh, soon, aren't you? Like, yeah. So, like, everything that we put on social media, oh, you just happen to know? Oh, yeah, they knew all of that. And then all of a sudden, they stopped looking at what I was wearing, and I became the expert. They wanted to know everything I had to say. They, yeah, well, good clap, 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 because it's on social media. And, and they were, they wanted to know everything. And I, in the, in the back, I was like, well, I got weird because I was like, Alicia, Jordan, uh, Carly, Graham, like, they run the social media. I actually don't know crap about social media. And, uh, and so it got awkward fast. <laughs> Are we only looking at the external? If we only look at the external, you know what that makes us? It gives us a hard time being socially aware. This person, this centurion, looked so much deeper and was able to be socially aware because of that. Because he was socially aware. He does not agree with Judaism. He's not a Jew himself. He has not gone that route. But because he sees them as people, he helps them out. And because he understands Judaism, he sends people to Jesus. He doesn't go himself because he understands. He's socially aware enough to know that if I, a Gentile, go to Jesus, that there is a ritual. There is, I can, that, that Jesus could be become ceremonially unclean. That's not, that's not respectful to him. Oh, and then when Jesus is actually coming to his house, because he is socially aware, he knows for a fact that if Jesus comes under his roof, that Jesus is now all of a sudden ceremonially unclean. Jesus, don't trouble yourself to be ceremonially unclean just for me. And because he's socially aware, he's able to communicate in a way in which he is heard. He's not a Jew. He does not care about being ceremonially unclean. He doesn't care if Jesus walks in and is ceremonial. Like that religiously, that means nothing to him. But because he sees the person, because he is socially aware enough, he's able to communicate in a way to be heard. Church, we struggle with this. The church at large, we are not socially aware And we are often unheard because of it. And this is where it goes. When Jesus heard these things, he what? Marveled at him. 
And turning to the crowd, he said to him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. What are you thinking if you're a Jewish person listening to this? (laughs) And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Now, this is a narrative. It's not prescriptive. It's not like, hey, if I have a sick child or a sick friend or a sick something that, that I turn to Jesus in faith and all of a sudden all is going to be well. But in this scenario, that is what happened. But as, as this man looked to Jesus, turned to him in faith, saying, I am spiritually bankrupt. I can't meet this need. I can't do this on my own. I humbly come to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Marvel. That Jesus could look at us in faith and marvel. And then look at Israel and say, what be you? (laughs) What you doing? You're so focused on works. You're so focused on doing, doing, doing. There's no faith in there. Instead of recognizing your own spiritual bankruptcy and saying, I am unworthy and I am in need of Jesus. And and what, what I love about this is Jesus doesn't go to the point of correcting the man. He doesn't go to the point of going into a dissertation about, hey, do you really understand faith? Do you really understand this, this, and this? But he was able to find something and marvel at that. He was able to start with a, something positive instead of correcting this man and understanding that he was on a journey because the centurion was a person. And all us people, human beings, are on a journey. Do we value the journey? Is I, have, I, have a, I have a group, a, a, a couple, a friend, of, a friend of Ava and I's that, that were going through a hard time. They had just experienced some loss. And in their loss, I, I, I had connected with the dude. We don't agree on anything. He loves, like, Avengers and, and like, Superman and, like, Batman. And, like, I don't under, like, I'm like, hey, Batman isn't a superhero. And he's like, I'm going to egg your house. Like, all of these things, like, we don't agree on, on anything. And, and, and the thing is, he doesn't really like sports, to my knowledge. But what he loves to do is he... He knows me well enough to know all the sports teams I hate. And so those are his favorite teams, the sports teams that I hate. But, then, but, he, but he suffered, they, they suffered some loss. And I knew one of the things I could do is say, you know what, let's just go get a meal. Let's go get some coffee. Let's go get whatever. And we went and had a meal. And that meal wasn't quick. That meal was about two and a half hours long. I could have focused in on that during that meeting on everything I disagree with. Because, because from a spiritual standpoint, from a, the way in which we think about life, we agree on very little, if anything at all. We as Christians are often too known for everything we disagree with. And so I looked at this man, I was like, I went into it praying, like, God, just like, I want to agree with something. And I, and I started like, hey, listen, one of us is wrong. We both can't be right about our outlook on life. Either I'm wrong and I want to save my money and stop giving to the church and just like, hey, and like, go on and enjoy my life. Or, or you're wrong. Like, one of us can't, like, we both can't be right here in this scenario. And so I was like, we, I, I, was, I wanted to hear what he had to say. And he, he was nice enough to hear what I was saying. And by the end of the two and a half hour conversation, we agreed on literally one thing. One thing, and you would think that it's earth-shadowing. <laughs> we agreed on three words. Something created something. <laughs> that was it. Something created something. Now, he would go, maybe it's a Martian. Maybe it's a UFO. Maybe Batman is real, and he created something out of nothing. <laughs> I don't know where he goes with that, and we don't necessarily agree on the something that created the something. But we agreed that at some point, there was nothing. At some point, something created what we see today. Now, where we go from there, I do not know, but I know that it's a more positive conversation to make the building blocks a place of agreement. And if we never agree on another thing in life again, 
I can tell you with all integrity that I have, if life hits the fan for this family, I don't care if we don't agree on another thing. I will come alongside them and I will love them. Why? Because they are people first. We as a church need to stop responding to people on the basis of disagreement. We need to stop looking out into our community and making sure they know every way in which we disagree. Perhaps the skill is finding something positive to to start the conversation and let that be the building block to an understanding about who Jesus is. We, We exist to ignite a craving for Jesus Christ by what? Relentlessly loving our community. If we are only showing and we're only declaring every way in which we disagree, they will not experience love. They will not feel love. You know how I know? Because Jordan was chirping me with everything he disagreed with about Boston sports. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to go back to the hotel room, fart on his pillow, and pray for pink eye. (laughs) We have a community hearing everything that we disagree with, and they don't want to hear a darn word we have to say. We need to find ways to agree without sacrificing what we know to be true in the word of God. We need to find ways to love them. Perhaps loving our enemy even when we don't agree, maybe that's the skill. Maybe the skill is finding, going to our enemy and finding a place to agree. Maybe that's the skill. So at the end of the day, at the end of the summer, some of you guys are going to have your summer flings. You'll, you'll do something nice for, for the lifeguard. And you're like, oh, the lifeguard, I got his number. And you're going to be like, oh, this is going to be great. And then by the end of the summer, your text messages, like it's a thing, your text messages are going to go un, un, unread. And, and that's going to communicate something to you. What does it communicate? But when Jesus comes, when we look at Jesus, are we communicating, Jesus, you have worth. When we embrace Jesus, he always embraces us. He looks at the centurion, and he doesn't see the loopholes in his faith. He understands he's on the journey. He doesn't have it all together, but he still comes to the centurion. He's still there for the centurion. He values the journey. He's not focused on the man's wealth. He's not focused on his position. He's not focused on this man's value. He's not focused on any of that, his race or any of it. He's focused on the person and responds accordingly. So how will you and I respond to God? That's our big thought for the morning. Our response sparks a response. How you respond to Jesus in this life will spark a response, will spark something in the life to come. And here's what I hope for. Here's what I also know. When we turn to Jesus spiritually bankrupt, saying, Jesus, you are everything, you know what? The, the, one of the first responses that happen, you get the Holy Spirit living up inside of you, and you know what I know what else happens? The angels throw a party. That's a different type of response because some of us walked in here saying, I don't want to respond to Jesus. I'm good with burning in hell. I'll party with my friends for all of eternity. I don't know your friends. They might be a hoot and hollering good old time. But I'd rather party with the angels than your friends any day of the week. (laughs) The angels party. The angels respond when we turn to Jesus in faith. Jesus is caring and compassionate. He's worth it. So what will you do? I challenge you that know, I challenge you of us that know Jesus Christ, that have already turned to him in faith. Perhaps this week as you pray for one, as you love one, love all, perhaps the challenge for you this week is say, I'm willing to have a two and a half hour conversation and agree on one simple truth. 
Perhaps it's showing love and to care. Perhaps it's saying, I disagree with 99% of the things and the words that you might say. But here's what's important. You are a person and that matters. If you can't agree on anything, here's what we can agree on. Human life matters. And the person before me matters. Maybe that's the starting point. So what will you do with your pray for one? Will you show them that you care? And that disagreeing can be okay and that we can build from there. If you've never turned to Jesus, if you've never said, Jesus, uh, I am bankrupt. Jesus, I am in need of something. I can't do this on my own like the centurion. Perhaps it is time for you to turn to Jesus. That is the response to say, Jesus, you are everything. Because you can leave here and you can be the non. You can say, I'm going to keep Jesus at arm's length. That is a response. You can do nothing, and that is a response. You can say no, and that is a response. Or you can say yes. To say yes opens up the doors to an eternal relationship with God Almighty. That's the response. Or you can say no. You can leave Jesus unread, and there will be a response. God will respond to that. Because one day, every knee will bow. Do it willingly, or will it be forced? Will there be an eternal hell or eternity with Jesus Christ, with all the angels and all of eternity? What response will God bring to you in light of what you do now? Let's pray. God, I.